watching the sunset off the balcony. Welcome to Hand of Pod. Welcome one and all to episode 418 of Hand of Pod. I'm Sam Kelly and this week I'm joined via Zoom by English Dan. Hello. Uh, who's having a couple of microphone issues, but hopefully we'll be able to just put up with that this week. And by Tony. Hello, everybody. Now, we didn't record last week, as you probably realised, if you listen to this on a weekly basis and this isn't your first time. Uh, that was kind of half by design and half accidental. Uh, when we recorded last two weeks ago, when we were doing our season preview, I didn't realise that round two of the Copa de la Liga was going to be played in the middle of the week last week. Um, I realised that before uploading last week's episode, but not before we recorded it. And then I thought, well, rather than record halfway through a round, and you know, whenever we do these sort of second episode of the new season things, it's always a bit like, okay, so who do we think's played well? And you're just going off one match. We'll just put it back by a week. And now we've got three matches to talk about because everybody played uh, a week and a half ago at the weekend. Everybody played about a week ago in midweek. And then everybody played this past weekend as well. So we're now three matches in. I'm not going to go through all of the results um, for you, but I will quickly run down the standings in the two groups. Estudiantes are the only team who've started with a 100% record. They have won three matches out of three, um, and they therefore obviously top uh, group. I don't know whether it's group B or group two, uh, but on the Promedios site, Promiedos site, it's it's group two. Uh, they beat Independiente 2-1 in the first round. They beat... Uh, Huracan 3-2 in the second match. And then this past weekend, uh, they got a 2-1 win over Lanús. Um, so they're top of group two. Colón are second and Boca are third. Both of them have seven points and newly promoted. Tigre have five uh, in fourth place. In group A, Platense and Unión have seven points each and are therefore first and second, separated only on goal difference. Uh, River are down in third, having lost in the first round to Union, which is certainly the result of the Copa so far. And we will uh, obviously talk about that a little bit with Tony in, in a minute or two, I imagine. And Argentinos are fourth with six points. Uh, so Ribera having lost that that first round match have sort of picked up and found their feet a bit now and have won two in a row afterwards. Uh, but first of all, Tony, Union off to a cracking start. As you pointed out to me before we started recording, the only team yet to concede a goal and seven points from three matches when only scoring two goals is pretty impressive. Well, we are um, doing our Uruguayan manager proud, surely. <laughs> Because we are we are playing like that. I think the the team has found a solidity, especially obviously on defense, and found a plan to believe in, 
that didn't have in the last couple of years, uh, probably since the good last bit of Madelon uh, at the helm, uh, because as con what Asconsawal did made no sense. Uh, I, I actually felt really good winning against Atletico Tucumán this weekend and, and keep seeing Asconsawal taking notes and doing, I don't know, stuff in the, in the dugout that made no sense. Like he did when um, he was managing Union. Um, yeah, I think the team found a, a, a new, uh, it's a newfound belief that if they stick to the plan and they all play together because that's probably the main takeaway when you see the team. Uh, it feels like a team that is running and fighting and pressing and trying to be careful not to give any space to the opposition and then uh, trying to counterattack. Um, and I don't want, I mean, obviously the, the, the people that have more of a uh, purest way to see football will say, okay, this is this is not the way to be to be played. But uh, I don't know. It 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 feels like that that kind of teams that you feel like you root for them because they are uh, they have that fighting spirit and 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 that emotion that and they, it's contagious. Uh, obviously, I don't think Cologne fans are gonna root, but. Um, if, I think you, you can relate it to a lesser degree, obviously, to that Uruguayan team that uh, won against Ghana and, and Suarez um, did a humble over the line. It, it, it feels like that. You know, it feels like a team that is all stick together and, and is believing in, into a cause. It's a good question to see if that's going to last. Uh, maybe a defeat will put the team back in its place. But so far in the three first games, um, and particularly in the first one against River, um, it felt like that. So it's, it's refreshing. It's good. I like it. Um, obviously, I would like to be more attacking and, and you know play "quote unquote" nice football. But it's been it's been it's been alright so far. Yeah. I, must yeah, say so. Go I, on, love, I haven't seen the Union players this year, admittedly, but I love the ambition of that comparison. World Cup semi-final. <laughs> Brilliant. Going for the stars and always having... Always I having did say lesser degree. <laughs> Fantastic. That's what we want to say. But I mean, I, I make it a comparison between, you know, the Uruguayan spirit that with the manager and three new <laughs> players from Uruguay, you know, the, you, you feel there is garra in this team. So Definitely some garra. Yeah, I, I didn't catch that. Actually, I did catch a little bit at the very end of the nil-nil draw with Tacheres in Cordoba in the second uh, match. I didn't catch any of the, the win over Atletico Tucumán. Um, but one thing that I think is is you know, pretty clear is that obviously they're going to be difficult to play in Santa Fe with the defence that strong. Um, and also, you know, against River, uh, I, I thought they did a very good job. You know, they, we were talking two weeks ago about how impressive River's... Um, transfer window has been for what that's ever you know for what that's worth how difficult it's going to be for anybody to really keep up with river uh once they get going of course after that big build-up that we gave them two weeks ago they proceeded to, to lose their first match one nil um you know the, the flip side of that impressive transfer window obviously is that a significant portion of river's team are still sort of getting to know each other although judging from their performances since that defeat they've they've done so um pretty quickly um but still union had to 
you know, put a good shift in and, and do a professional job. And, and they did. It, it was, it was a, a, an impressive performance, I thought. Um, and, you know, we're now looking, uh, just looking at their fixtures. I know that in, is it two weeks' time? No, it's not. It's in about a week's time, isn't it? The 4th of March. So, yes, yeah, in uh, next Friday. So we have the very beginning of, of next weekend's round. They're going to be playing Platense. So first against second, if that had been happening this weekend. Um, and looking at the form and looking at the fact that Union are playing Sarmiento and Platense are playing, I think it's Banfield. Uh, it's not out of the question, but that might still be first versus second uh, when it happens. That should be good fun. Or if not necessarily liquid football, then certainly a good, interesting match. Yeah, and it's a little bit of a clash too. You know, Platense tries to play a little bit more attacking and a more positional oriented kind of uh, style. Mm. So again, it's going to be a little bit of a clash. Like you said, against Libero, I think we we had the advantage of that team a little bit being a little bit rusty. It felt like that. I feel like River that usually find the tools or have the tools to find the space between the players and make them pay for their mistakes. I don't think Union did any mistakes. And then they felt um, uninspired in the final third. River didn't have any, 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 anything in their arsenal to uh, put a hole in, in the defense. And like you said, I think that playing at home is going to be quite difficult for, for any team. Um, and yeah, I think it, it, it's, it's encouraging. I think it's where I would use. Um, and against Platense, I think, like you said, it's going to be interesting to see how, how that works out. Yeah, meanwhile, over in the other group, Estudiantes are top in spite of not having kept a clean sheet yet, which is possibly something that we wouldn't normally um, associate with Estudiantes in terms of their history and identity as a club. They've got a 2-1 win. I think I've already gone through these results, actually, haven't I? They've got a 2-1 win over Independiente in the first round, which I thought was a pretty entertaining second half. I don't think I caught the first. Um, but all of the goals came after half time, and um, it, was, it was pretty good stuff overall. Um, and then our 3-2 win over Huracan last weekend, which I missed. I think I've seen the goals since, and there were a couple of quite good ones, but I can't remember which they were. Um, but again, they seem to be making a habit, which is a very good habit to be in, of scoring early in the second half. Um, in their first two matches, they definitely scored really soon um, after half time in both of those. In the match against Lanús, they did not. That took a little bit longer. Um, Leandro Diaz made it 2-0 in the 73rd minute. They'd gone in with a half-time lead. Um, but it, it looks decent from Estudiantes so far. The, the only black mark against their season to date from the four matches they've played is that that fourth match uh, was just last night, as we record on Wednesday evening, we're recording on Thursday evening, so last night means Wednesday evening is what I mean, um, where in spite of uh, their opponents having two people sent off to their having one person sent off, they opened the Copa Libertadores with a defeat away to Audax Italiano in Chile, uh, 1-0. Uh, that is the, the first leg of the qualifying round, so the second leg is back in La Plata on the 2nd of March, it says here. Um, but it's, it's been a, a Again, a, a decent start for Estudiantes. Don't know whether anybody wants to say anything about that. Mauro Bocelli um, has, has probably been the star so far. He's got three goals in 
well, three goals in three league matches. And obviously he didn't score in the Libertadores because they didn't score in the Libertadores. Um, so yeah, good stuff from them. And Colón, the defending champions of the Copa de la Liga, um, are hot on their tail, just two points behind. Level with Boca, ahead of Boca on goal. Oh, goal difference. I was going to say goal scored because they've scored six to Boca's five, but they've also conceded one fewer than Boca. So they're just, they're two better off in goal difference. Um, Colón so far have played, I'm trying to stop things falling off my desk. I apologise if you can hear some clattering in the background. They started off with a 1-1 draw against Boca um, and then they got a 3-1 win over Godoy Cruz and a 2-0 win away to Central Córdoba. So it's it's a pretty good time to be a fan of Santa Fe football, really, overall, oh, Tony. I, I hate to point that out, of course, but go on, Dan. Two things. They've actually been playing in Entre Rios, right? Because their stadium's been unavailable, so they've been playing at home in uh, Abranata's ground, just over the uh, yes. Yeah, good point. And the second one is that it's largely down to the return of and the heroics of one Luis Miguel Rodriguez, who has been mm. absolutely on fire. Yeah. Doing ridiculous things. It was um, a backhill assist in the first game to, uh, Either equalise or take the lead against Boca. Equalise, I see. Um, then against who was it? Just said it. Uh, Godoy Cruz, and I almost he effectively scored an outside of the foot uh, Olympic goal from a corner, which <laughs> took a, was a little bit of help from the keeper, and a ridiculously like Futsalesque uh, penalty to put him out, um, to, like wrap the game up. And then I must admit, I didn't see his goal on Tuesday night because I was otherwise engaged in Avicenna, but I have no doubt that it must have been memorable for some reason or other. So he just keeps doing it. It's incredible. He did it for Colombo before. He did it for uh, Ignacia last year. I mean, 37. He just just won't stop. Yeah, I'd forgotten about the... um, I'd forgotten about the goal from the corner because that's actually... It's gone down as as an own goal uh, for one of Godoy Cruz's defenders. But yeah, I mean... I think, I mean, he did well in Gimnasia, but not as well as in Colón or uh, Atlético Tucumán, in my opinion. So maybe we can we can put that out to having more local cuisine available. <laughs> maybe. I think just because he had crapper players around him, to be fair, mm. than he did at Atlético. Oh, that also, that also. But you know, he 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 got more energy and more youthful with empanadas and pescado going around. Yeah, it's always great to see him doing Luis Rodriguez doing Luis Rodriguez things. I mean, we talked. I think we it was probably on a on a hand of pot extra um, when we discussed his career and and we covered a little bit of that famous story from when he was a teenager and was on some tour in Europe and his agent got an offer from Inter and turned them down because he was convinced that Real Madrid were going to make an offer the following day. And we didn't tell Luis or Luis's dad that he'd done this. And they were both very, very upset with him when they found out. Um, And so he went back to Tucumán and ended up just playing in Argentina for his whole career. Um, It's uh, if, if, you're a recent arrival to our Patreon page, then it's worth going back and trying to hunt that episode out. I'm afraid I can't remember which number it is. Uh, and if you want to hear it and you're not on our Patreon page, of course, you can get over to patreon.com slash handapod 
uh, and sign up, and that's the kind of stuff that you'll uh, get. And this week, you'll get two extra episodes because I forgot to upload the extra episode that we recorded two weeks ago. So I'll be doing those in quick succession. Um, But anyway, back on the topic, it's always fantastic to watch him and another player who is always fantastic to watch. And I'm delighted to have discovered in these two weeks since we last recorded that my prediction that he wasn't going to be playing very much, that he was going to be a bit of a bit part player for River Plate, is wrong. Dan didn't record with us two weeks ago, but I'm sure Dan's already guessed who I'm talking about. Juan Fernando Quintero, ladies and gentlemen, is back oh, playing gonna, domestic football in Argentina. Go on. Gabriel Alci. No, we'll get on to him later. But for now, I, I just I, I just want to just spend a little bit of time just loving the fact that we're able to watch Quintero again. I mean, I I thought that after being in China for a bit, he might have you know lost some motivation and, and be a little bit off form or whatever, but. God, he looks fantastic still, doesn't he? He's playing better than he was before he left River for me, which admittedly wasn't, you know, he'd suffered a little bit of a dip in form and now he seems much, much hungrier. I don't know whether either of you two would agree. Well, I don't know how much of him you've seen, actually, Dan, because he's been on holiday, but... Yeah, I mean, I watched the um, game against Banfield where he's got that ridiculous side foot of goal from about 40 metres out. Um, uh, I can only speak really in general terms. I didn't see him against Newt, I must admit. Um, what did I? Uh, oh, yeah, that was a game. I was thinking Banfield because Arboleda is. I was going to say, yeah, they Banfield. haven't played Banfield. They've they beat, uh, since losing to Union, they've beaten Patronato 4 1 in the Monumental. Uh, and they beat Newell's 2 0 in Rosario at the weekend. I did see that game, yeah. Um, sorry, in my head, Arboleda is always. The Banfield keeper, he fucks us up every time uh, <laughs> the play against him. And then against every other team, he's just absolute shit. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, uh, he was really impressive. I'd say in general terms, like, if he needed any extra motivation to play, and I don't think he does because he's back in River, everyone loves him. He's a cult hero. He can be no wrong. Um, if he needed any extra motivation, he's got it in the shape of the World Cup. Um, yeah. Obviously, yeah, I'm at all assured of getting there, but if they do, got a fantastic chance with Camus Rodriguez more or less out of the picture and Colombia really needing a bit of inspiration. So if he keeps doing this, he's going to be back very soon for Colombia and he could be one of the reasons that they could claw back uh, World Cup qualification. I mean, as I say, it's a tough ass now, um, but he's made the right start and surely got to be in the, the running for Colombia in these last two qualifiers, right? You would think so, wouldn't you? I mean, he's been around the squad. I'm sure he, he was at the Copa America, wasn't he, last year? Um, and I also get that, I mean, just watching him, it sort of, I wonder whether he's sort of back in one of his happy places because I don't know how, uh, I'm not going to say he wasn't having a good time in China, but from what we heard, he wasn't getting paid particularly promptly, if at all in China and that's got to affect you to some degree so coming back to a club that he knows a club where as you say he's, he's loved universally um, has, has got to help that and it does also help um, that any Manchester City fans listening to this will be delighted to hear uh, we already knew you'd signed a fantastic player but we now also have a little bit of evidence that you've signed a player who just does not let up even when that big money move that everybody, every player in Argentina hopes for 
has been sealed and, you know, the ink is dry on the contracts and everything. A hat trick for Julian Alvarez against Patronato. Okay, it's only against Patronato, uh, but three really well taken goals. Um, and just. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's, he's just relentless. And, and there was a really great moment against Newells as well. There was a high ball. I think it might have been from Quintero um, into midfield, which seemed too high for him to control. And he just brought it under his spell beautifully before laying it off to a teammate. I think it might have been before Roberto Rojas scored the second goal. Or, oh no, it was a few minutes before that, maybe on another attack. Um, but yeah, I mean, just continues to be just such a good player. Um, so that's the sort of business end of the two groups. We should discuss uh, Boca as well, of course. Uh, they have not started quite as impressively as, as certainly as Patense or Estudiantes, um, but they're starting to sort of find the feet, follow that 1-1 draw against Colón in the first uh, match that we mentioned. Since then, they've had a 2-1 win away to Aldo Civi and a 2-1 win at home to Rosario Central. Um, a couple of relatively gentle ways, I guess you could say, of warming up for an away tie with Independiente this weekend. Uh, it, we've got a few, a couple of all big five clashes this weekend because River host Racing as well. Um, but Boca have, have looked, to me, it's, I don't know what you two think, but it's, it's felt like kind of getting back towards the direction of, I guess, what we think of as classic Boca, just nothing very fussy, functional, but they look very difficult to to beat. You know, by the time you score a goal against them, there's every chance you're going to be two down, which which was the case for Central, at least, that they found themselves in. They only scored their goal very late on. Um, Dan? Yeah, I think that's pretty much right. And if I recall rightly, the um, the Central game, it's like, it wasn't really a 2-1. Um, that result flattered hmm. Central somewhat because they barely got into the game and Boca probably could have killed it off a bit earlier. Um, I mean, the Aldo CB match was very similar, really. Boca were completely dominant in the first half. Uh, Aldo CB. I think it was 1-0 to Boca at half-time and Aldo Civi actually had a pretty good spell in the second half where you thought, oh, they might get get level here. Um, and then Boca scored. You know, I mean, OK, five minutes in uh, and Aldo Civi are chasing it for the whole of the second half after that. And again, like Central, they eventually got their goal quite, I mean, even later, actually, I'm just looking, it was in stoppage time um, to pull it back to 2-1. So, you know, it's two matches in a row, effectively, where Boca could have won by by more. And the game against Colón, which was a late equaliser, I believe. Uh, it's, it seems like so long ago now that I can't remember. Let me just check. But I think you're right, yeah. We're, uh, yeah. 86 minutes, yeah. Yeah. Lucas so Beltran. For the first 85 minutes of games, they're pretty much formidable. Uh, yeah. Very hard to beat. Uh, it's the last five minutes where you might be able to take advantage. Um, now, I think we all know Boca are going to be there or thereabouts again this season. Um, they're just going to keep grinding out these points. Um, they're going to have Oscar Romero, right? Did I read that correctly when I was a Jose? He signed and is um, going to play at some point, I assume, if they've signed him. Tony is our main man on the transfer business. I'm hoping he's going to unmute his uh, microphone. I, I just did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think you're correct, Dan, on that, on that assessment. Um but 
yeah. I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm mixed with, with getting people that had that record, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Uh, it's a tough one. I love Romero. Um, and I think he'll do, he'll do Booker a world of good because um, they've already improved uh, as of last year by bringing back uh, Paul Fernandez, who is one of the best just pure passers in the Argentine league. Just makes the ball sing when he has to ping it over the top or get, get it moving. That's something they probably didn't have as much of um, last year. And obviously, with Benedetto up front, they've got finally that regular scorer, the yeah. regular centre-forward, which they basically haven't had since Benedetto left. Um, they're going to be harder to beat than last year. They're going to, I think they're going to be more formidable, more formidable than last year. And, and they're definitely, you know, going to be looking at top of the table yeah or even latter stages of the um cup as it were um has have either of you caught anything from tigre so far i have to admit that uh i haven't um but they started with two draws and a win and they're fourth in group two right just behind boca i was half watching monday's game against barraca central which was pretty much like uh, kicking a child over and over in the face <laughs> while he was on the floor. Um, Barracas are probably, I mean, and it's stiff competition for this category, but I'm <laughs> going to stick my neck out and say they are the worst team with the possible noble exception of the great, possibly now deceased Crucera del Norte that I have ever seen in an Argentine Primera División game. Just clueless, uh, absolutely clueless. Yeah, I'm just looking at it and trying to work out whether I've caught them, so, caught Barracas Central so far. I think that I've caught a bit of their first match against Central Córdoba, which was a 3-1 defeat. And, you know, when you're losing 3-1 to Central Córdoba, it, it's not a great look. I mean, okay, Central Cordoba have, you know, handed a couple of pastings down to, I think, was it San Lorenzo? They beat 4-0 or something about this time last year uh, in the Nuevo Gasometro, I seem to remember. But, um, you know, overall, I mean, yeah, just looking at their results so far, Barracas have uh, feel like a team who probably wouldn't be in the top flight without some help, as we've been pointing out for the last couple of years since Chiqui Tapia became president of the AFA. Um, and they might very well get some help this season, but they're going to need more than they get, I think, um, from 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 what I've heard about their performances. I've just noticed they're playing Colón this weekend. With the form Colón are in, that could get entertaining for those of us who want oh, to see yeah. Barracas go straight back down. Uh, I want 10. I want 10 money <laughs> from uh, Rodriguez. We're back on to Tigre. Um it has to be said that, that this good early form from Tigre hasn't come with the most difficult um, fixture list in the world. Their results so far are a draw against Godoy Cruz, a draw against Central Córdoba, and a 2-0 win against Barracas Central. Um, so Tigre themselves you know, might not be quite as good as they're looking at the moment. We might get a better idea um, of that at the weekend because they're away to Lanús. And then they're at home to Colón uh, the week after that. So in a couple of weeks' time, we'll have a much better idea of, of whether Tigre are sort of back up and they're going to be mixing it or whether they're going to be in another relegation struggle. 
again, of course, the last time they were in the first, the, the top division, you might remember, was when they won the predecessor to this competition, the Copa de la Superliga, and thus qualified for the Libertadores the following year, but got relegated and um, and therefore couldn't... Well, no, they did play it, didn't they, in the end? Did they play the qualifying yeah. round and get knocked out in that or something as a compromise? Um, they did play it, yeah. No, I think they played yeah. the group stage. They oh, they did. Good. Of course they did. Yeah, they, they got through the qualifying round, yeah. I would fire one word of warning when it comes to Tigre. Go on. Because you're looking at the fixture list, and every week they have to play the team who the week before uh, played Barraca Central. So their opposition are always going to be really full of confidence. That's <laughs> to watch out for. Maybe, you know, overconfident after hitting seven goals, but um, they're not going to get many teams in, in bad form. That's a slightly cruel way of doing things to the two promoted teams, actually, giving them the same <laughs> opponents consecutive and also putting them in the same groups. Same I, suppose it means I suppose it means that they're comparing like for like. If they end up in a relegation battle against each other, then they're going to be, they're going to have played the same opponents more times, isn't it? But because, yeah, just to remind people that the, these group standings are going to count towards relegation at the end of the year. So it's going to be the standings, the, the results from the group stage of this copper and the results from the league that we will have later in the year and of course it's still a promedio system for now so it's going to be combined with the last couple of seasons i think it is isn't it 20 what we had of 2020 and what we're gonna and what we and, and the whole of 2021 um that'll become clearer towards the end of the year anyway so we're not going to worry too much about relegation for now um any other chat let's see oh dan you're back yes of course you are welcome back from holiday um Racing have started unbeaten, so you must be happy. They are sixth at the moment in Group 1. Uh, five points, one win, two draws. Tell us about it. Yeah, it's looking good, and it could have been even better because, um, as you say, I was on holiday um, for the first round. I didn't see it, but um, from a completely unbiased, objective um, opinions I, I sought out on Tuesday night in Racing Stadium, um, Racing should have won that. Uh, I think Javier Correa missed a penalty and Racing generally had the better of the game. Um, I did watch against Defensa Cordicia where Racing again had everything to win. Um, I think they took the lead twice and got pulled back each time. Um, I know they were 2-0 up and then let it go. That's right. Shit. Um, <laughs> but it was it was a very good performance um, attacking. Um, not so much in, in defence. And then it all came together on Tuesday um, for the visit of Argentinos. Um, league leaders, uh, zone leaders, I should say. Uh, the only team in zone one or zone A, whatever it is, with uh, 100% record. And they got absolutely taken to the cleaners. Racing um, were just effective. They were direct. They made the passes count. Um, as I mentioned just before, Gabriel Lauchi. 35 playing like a 23-year-old. Uh, just another fantastic game. Um, laid on the, the third goal and was just a pain in the ass the whole game. Um, and basically, Gabriel Milito going back to the, the sky blue and white half of Avicenida again had a very poor time of it. And it was, yeah, it was a, a racing team. Like a team, you know, uh, that thing, you know, who play together, know where their teammates are going to be, um, do good things 
uh, it's kind of an alien concept uh, to a lot of racing fans after the 2021 we had. Um, but definitely the signs don't want to get too optimistic, particularly because the next game is against River in the Monumental and it's almost definitely going to end up 6-0 to River. But there's like the slightest whisper, slightest indication that after all the shit that Racing have gone through over the last year and almost a quarter, uh, they might just be turning on the corner and they might have a side that can at least win a few games and not make you want to gouge your eyes out. Um, yeah. and that would be most welcome I'm not going to lie yeah I was, I was going to joke when you were waxing lyrical for a moment there about how they'll be going into their next game really high on confidence um, you know we've mentioned many many times now in this podcast's nearly 11 and a half year history uh, that River versus Racing is one of the most one-sided head-to-heads you know just down through the last what, 120 years that it's existed as a rivalry uh, not only in, in recent times um, but it, in a way, partly because of that, I, I kind of feel like, yeah, you're quite right. You know, it, it might very well end in a very one-sided win for River. But even if it does, it doesn't really, um, I don't feel like it, it, it's going to sort of mean that this promising start from Racing means any less, if you see what I mean. Because in a way, Racing, when they play River, feels a little bit like a, a free hit. Don't worry too much if it ends up being a bad result because, hey, it's always a bad result for Racing against River. And then the season really starts in earnest and you can try and make the, the, the things that you've managed to do in these first three matches count over the rest of the campaign, if that makes sense. I don't know whether that's quite the way that Racing fans and you know people who actually give a toss will think about it. Um, but it feels like a healthy way of looking at it to me. Yeah, up to a point, I think um, definitely uh, Gago is is very pleased that everything came together for him against Argentinos because if he'd gone into the River oh, yeah. game, a draw or, or got the bit of defeat and then had another pacing, his position would be um, rather tenable because it's not like he pulled up many trees last year either in his um, spell on the bench. Um, but now I think he'll have that credit in the bank um, and that's that would be enough to get him through whatever catastrophe might lie in wait on Sunday. Mm. And and then, yeah, as you say, move on, dust yourself off, make a few comments to the press about how it, how much it hurts. And next time, River won't just stick on us for 90 minutes and, and get down to the real business. Yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, it's, it's just, you know, what I'm trying to say, I guess, is, is, is don't... Uh, and I know that you're not going to, but, you know, Racing fans in general, if you're listening, don't place too much stock in that, in whatever happens at the weekend. I mean, obviously, if Racing win, then that's a fantastic result. And if they play well, then that's brilliant and you should absolutely celebrate it. And that really will be promising. But if it's a negative result, you know, don't get too down about it over what it means for the medium term. Uh, because from what we've seen of River so far this year, it's been a perhaps a slightly slow start. I mean, they did thrash Patronato, but at the same time, it was Patronato and it was at home. Um but, you know, at some point this year, a big team or, a you know, a strong team is, is going to go to the Monumental and get absolutely pasted. Um, so if that does happen at the weekend, it, it's it's not going to be the last time that that happens to River's opponents in the Monumental. Has um, uh, there been any know. information about um, your away fans? Because there was a lot of buzz around El Cilindro on Tuesday about possibly opening up stand for racing fans i know i talked to 
few of the better people for one reason or another on Tuesday night. And they were all very excited that they were going to get their tickets. Um, the rest of like normal fans, not so much, but they bought Elisa. Uh, they had a chance of it getting opened up, even though River are one of the teams that really don't want away fans to come back. Uh, yeah. Have there been any, any more talk on that? I haven't heard about that. Um, no, I'm also to ask if, if they're talking about the legality of that. <laughs> no, I mean, apparently, um, I, had re- I had read it as well. Um, away fans were going to come back from the, from the fourth round onwards, but there hasn't been any official confirmation. And I, despite Racing fans getting all excited by this idea of going to the Monumental, I would say if you guys haven't heard anything, it's probably not going to happen. No, as, as, as you've just said, I can't see anything official about it. But they're definitely, they want to do it. it it's uh, The word is that it's going to happen this year and probably in the first half of this year. Uh, but until there's been something official, it certainly isn't going to be happening at River or Boca until there's an official, not just announcement, but probably something actually forcing them to let away fans in, you would think, because uh, those two clubs particularly are, more than happy to just pack the, the stadiums out with home fans for as long as they're allowed to. Um, I would say you're correct. Yeah. Uh, anyway, um, so that's, I mean, uh, and particularly obviously while River are working on their stadium as well to, to increase capacity, as we mentioned a couple of weeks ago. Um, so that is Racing, Independiente and San Lorenzo complete the big five, of course. Uh, neither of them so far have been much to write home about. Independiente are ninth in Group 2. They've won one, drawn one, and lost one. Uh, San Lorenzo are 12th in Group 1. They have uh, won none, drawn one, and lost two. So, I mean, really, I have to admit, I haven't caught either of San Lorenzo's... uh, Sorry, I haven't caught any of Independiente's matches so far. I have caught... I'm trying to remind myself which ones. Quite big... It's of oh right yeah no I I caught the whole of the second half uh, against Defensa Justicia the other day which was tremendous entertainment uh, it finished San Lorenzo three Defensa y Justicia four um, at half time it was two nil to Defensa y Justicia and San Lorenzo for the first twenty minutes of the second half uh, it was really really entertaining stuff. Uh, Defensa actually scored first they, they went 3-0 up like three minutes into the second half but then Agustin Martegani who is I think quite a young player um, the commentators were referring to him as a kid anyway let me just check this uh, he is 21 um, and he just he put on a show he, he scored a goal he set a goal up um, for Cristian Zapata to pull it back to 3-2 then Defensa Justicia went up the other end and got a penalty, which actually should have been a free kick uh, for a handball that was probably about half a yard outside the box um, and was saved. Uh, and then San, uh, San Lorenzo continued to put some pressure on. Not They couldn't quite keep up the pressure that they put on earlier in, in the half uh, and threatened a little bit on the counter um, before Defensa made it 4-2 with 10 minutes to go. And he thought, well, that's that. And then fairly early in stoppage time. I think there were about five minutes of stoppage time added. Um, Alexis Soto pulled one back to make it 4-3 and you sort of wondered, oh, is there going to be time for a uh, an equaliser possibly? And as it was, it wasn't to be. But if you were going to catch one half of football, 
um, from this most recent round, then I think that was probably the half to catch. So I was quite pleased with myself for doing so. Um, but it isn't a half that I would have found enormously um, encouraging if I were a San Lorenzo fan and if I'd actually cared about the result because just going 3-0 down and, and you know, early on at home, um, it feels like it's going to be a season of more of the same problems for San Lorenzo. You know, they followed it up with a 1-0 defeat away to Gimnasia. Uh, sorry, they preceded it, I should say, with a 1-0 defeat away to Gimnasia um, at the weekend. 0-0 draw in the first round against Banfield in a pretty dull match. Um, San Lorenzo are a club who, you know, they, they've had all of these institutional issues. We've talked about them at some length over the decade and a bit. We've been doing the podcast. They had high points. You know, they won the first ever Libertadores in, in 2014. Um, but really, it feels like we've spent the vast majority of our time on this podcast talking about how badly run they are and how much of an effect that has on what they do on the pitch. Uh, is there ever an end in sight for them with this? Either of you? It feels like they're just doomed to keep going through the same story, right? Um, bad results, change of coach, more bad results, uh, lose a few tr um, court cases about unpaid wages, lose your best players, try and get some in, buy some not very good players. Um, just a real downward spiral, really. Um, I think it was that long ago they were looking competitive. I can't remember if it was the 2020 Copa Superliga or no, the 2021 Copa Superliga that they did all right and then fell off. And but was certainly, it? that was only a year ago. I can I can barely remember it. I think they almost got into the playoffs and they lost to Racing on the last game, and that's why they didn't get into the playoffs. Good grief! Uh, they had a an average season at least like not disastrous um, but that's probably about as good as it's got for, for quite a while for San Lorenzo which you know does its own story really mm. and you can't see it getting better anytime soon because they haven't exactly had you know a daunting opening um, opening set of fixtures I mean you look at the teams that come they need to play River they need to play Argentinos they need to play Racing um, they had, you know, this was mm, overall a fairly kind start to the year, and the fact that they've just been really bad uh, doesn't exactly bode well. No, indeed. Um, other quick mentions uh, before we take a halftime break. I've just realised we've had a self-imposed uh, halftime break already because our Zoom recording cut out and we have to start it again. Um, which hopefully, if I do a good enough job, you won't have heard happen. Uh, but we will take a quick musical break in a second. Uh, but uh, just to give a couple of other shout-outs, Banfield have started pretty well as well. They're fifth in Group 1, sandwiched between Argentinos and Racing, just ahead of Racing on goal difference. Um, and Belles and Central Cordoba. I mean, in Group 2, it's a little bit more somehow it seems slightly less impressive because Banfield and Racing are on five points just outside the top four in Group 1 uh, and the equivalent positions in Group 2 have only got four points which, you know, after three matches it doesn't feel like that much less and yet somehow it looks like much less when you look at them next to each other. Um, but Vélez and Central Córdoba de Santiago del Estero and Arsenal and Rosario Central and Independiente um, are all on four points 
from their opening three games. So they've all won one, drawn one, and lost one so far. So if you're after even competition, uh, then possibly Group Two is going to be the Group Two. What is the Group Two? Haha, <laughs> uh, the Group to look at. Um, but we'll have to wait and see, won't we? Anyway, for now, uh, here is some nice soothing music. Uh, and we'll be back in a second to continue our conversation. Don't go away. Welcome back. Um, what can we talk about now, gents? <laughs> what do you want to talk about? Tony, how's the, how's the women's yeah. season started? You, you very kindly gave uh, Patreon supporters a preview of what it was going to look like when we last recorded. And as I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, I haven't actually got around to uploading it yet, but uh, I will do before this goes online. And have they played any matches yet? Or has it just uh, has the draw been, been made and that's it? That's it. You've been lucky because if you uh, post a preview, it will still be valid. <laughs> so, Excellent. yeah. But um, what we had is um, international break. And that's the reason because the season, oh, the season starts tomorrow, I'll just say. Exactly. Fantastic. Uh, we had an international break where Argentina played two friendlies against Colombia. The two of them ended in draw. But don't be mistaken, that was very. Very dreadful. Really? That I was really bad. Against Colombia were respectable results. I mean, yes and no. If you if you think about it, Colombia is a team with more perhaps infrastructure in the last couple of years. Uh, but historically, Argentina had an advantage in the head-to-head. Hasn't lost to Colombia in the last five matches, if memory serves. But if I tell you that the team had two touches in the box, 47% of passing accuracy all over the pitch, and only two shots, none on target. That's, you know, let's say not encouraging <laughs> heading to the Copa America. Okay, yeah, that helps to provide some context. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think there's there's still rolling cries about getting money back to the team, but I think it's up one problem and not the problem. Um, the the call ups are a bit unbalanced in terms of you know players. I mean, if you have a player out because of COVID uh, and and that player is a centre centre back, you will call another centre back, maybe I don't know a full back, perhaps or 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 a central midfielder can fill up as a centre-back, you don't call a winger. And then when the friendly comes, you don't have any defenders on the bench. Mm. Uh, I don't know. It, feel, it feels like playing with fire a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I'm not, I'm not really hopeful about what's going on in the national team so far. Um, it's the, they, they are on the second longest run without winning in their history. 
if we don't count, obviously the game against Chivas, we obviously shouldn't count. And and that win against Venezuela when they went to Bilbao and play a tournament against the um, Basque country. So uh, I know it feels it feels in the opposite of the other national teams uh, talking about the male and the futsal. They've been doing really well, but. Uh, it kind of feels like the opposite of what we were hoping for right when the manager was changed (laughs) we were optimistic that this might be a new a new dawn from Borrello's stultifyingly dull uh, (laughs) brand of oh we're crap so let's just put 11 women behind the ball and hope we can keep them out um you know, there was a bit more. I mean, I remember you being quite optimistic that that it might result in some actual football being played, um, and that's not really happened yet. No, at all. Uh, actually, one of one of the journalists uh, said on Twitter that this was probably the more Borrello-like game, the one that was played yesterday. The first, the first one was played um, on Sunday was two two, and this last one. Um, play Wednesday Wednesday night was nil nil. It was the most more Borrello like performance since Portanova is the head coach. I mean that's that paints picture. Hmm. Well, fingers crossed things start to look up soon. When's the national team's next get together? Uh, the next get together is in April. They're gonna hopefully play against Chile. That's the the plan because uh, Portanova is also the under twenties uh, national team. Uh, manager or head coach and they had to play the Sudamericano in Chile in April so they killed two birds with one stone with that and yeah yeah, killing two birds with one stone just feels like you know the the story of of how this national team is run though I mean from the outside obviously I don't pay as much attention to it as you but things like always organizing back-to-back friendlies a few days apart against the same team so you don't get yeah. a great variety of opponents and different approaches that you can take and all the rest of it. It, it just it feels like such a missed opportunity. I do get that there's not a yeah. lot of money, but also, you know, the AFA can put something in. Surely that was the whole idea behind professionalizing the top flight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you. They they could be part of one tournament that actually counts in the FIFA ranking or in the FIFA matches. Like I said, they played a tournament in the Basque country, but you know. What's mm. what's the point? Because even so, they rearrange the tournament to play one friendly outside the tournament against Venezuela. That in the end didn't count because the referee wasn't an international one. And then played the a tournament that it was three games between Venezuela, the Basque country, and Argentina that lasted forty-five minutes each. What's the point? Oh, sorry, and, forty-five minutes for the whole game. Yep, that's ridiculous. It's ridiculous, and then you you don't get to be invited or invite your way into like we know that works how that works uh, into maybe a more uh, prestigious uh, tournament, even if it goes in the same way as the She Believes did. I was going to say they, six you know, States. the She Believes is on at the moment, isn't it? They, they were playing in that last year, and you've got this year this the Pinata Cup or something as well as that. The name of it? Yeah, there are no club in England. Seems like there are more more of these events being put together. And Argentina, especially after being involved in the She Believes last year, Argentina should have been hoping to be at maybe not the She Believes two years running, but you know this new one or or whatever. Or yeah, I mean Brazil played it in France. 
if if Tapia wants to to become this great figure for the you know yeah the, 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 the w- women's friendlyization or whatever you want to call it of of South American football, then you know why don't the Afro organize one themselves at this time of year? Yeah, I mean, invite Brazil, invite Brazil. a couple of the teams Argentina might actually get a result against and have some fun with it. Yeah, I mean, Brazil is probably the what we aim for to achieve as a South American country in this in this matter, play in the tournament of France against, obviously, France, Netherlands and Finland. Mm. That's tough a position. And even if they didn't win, they, they think, okay, if we didn't win, but we get two good draws against Finland and, and against the Netherlands, surely we're going to be all right in the Copa America. Yeah. Meanwhile, we I'm thinking, are we are we going to get to the World Cup? <laughs> um, so yeah, that's that's uh, that's the problem. But yeah, the, the tournament is going to start tomorrow, and I think it's going to be fun to see other teams playing um, around Robin and not the groups and all that shenanigans, and you know have some some derbies and have the Boca River back, the River Independiente back. I think it's going to be fun, um, and hopefully to see more. More of this new talent. Quickly, next week, it's going to be the Sudamericano Sub-17 or under-17 Sudamericano. Um, mm-hmm. Meloni, which was the Boca manager, uh, it's the now head coach of uh, the Argentinian under-17s. And then it's the under-20s and then the Copa America. That's the year for um, the different uh, national teams in the women's game. Thank you, Tony. Um and I've just the pennies just dropped that didn't when we talked about this two weeks ago. Um, because I'm looking at the league table. Obviously, it's not got any numbers on it yet because no one's played. And there are 21 teams. So we've gone from having, you know, three years ago having a women's top flight that isn't even semi-professional to having one that's so professional that just like the men's game, there are now too many teams in it. Um, which is it, uh, it would be impressive if it wasn't such an Argentine football thing to do um, and as a result there's going to be one team sitting out each round of matches the first round uh, that team is going to be Comunicaciones but the other first round fixtures are El Porvenir versus Boca River versus Lanús Defensa, Defensores de Belgrano versus Racing Independiente versus Excursionistas Deportivo Español versus Rosario Central San Lorenzo versus Ferro Gimnasia versus Estudiantes Sat versus Platense Why Urquiza versus Estudiantes and Bisha San Carlos versus Huracan. Are there any of those that stand out as being, you know, potentially quite good rather than just quite one-sided, Tony? Or? Um, I think we can see something interesting from Why against Estudiantes. Estudiantes has a good team. Uh, they got um, two new players, particularly Fanny Rodriguez. She was playing in Boca. Um She's a really good striker that didn't have a lot of minutes uh, under that stable front uh, that Poca had. Uh, Platense against Sat might be a win for Platense, but both teams have really, really good uh, youngsters to, to watch out for. Uh, Platense has Magalinata, which is probably one of the brightest under-18s um, right now in the game in Argentina. So you can check out. Her and uh, Chaharal, sorry. And then probably watching River against Lanús, it will be fun. Again, a team that had really good talent. Vicky Costa one is my one of my favorite players. And they got uh, Justin Morcillo back. So that will be fun to watch. 
Yeah, I won't be watching that one because it starts at nine o'clock in the bloody morning. Of course it does. Yeah, that, that still happens. <sighs> I'm looking forward to when that isn't the case for at least half of the matches anymore. Uh, at least the other ones are like five o'clock in the afternoon, but that just makes you think, well, why can't they play at three o'clock and five o'clock instead of nine o'clock and five o'clock? But anyway, uh, let's move on to listeners' questions. We have had a few via Twitter. The first is from Carlon. <laughs> Sorry, Carlon. I'm sure it's Carlon, but uh, I thought I'd pronounce it as if it was Spanish then. Um, Carlon Carpenter, who says, early days in the Copa, but which teams have surprised you all so far? Uh, we've probably more or less sort of run this down really in the first half of the pod haven't you but I mean I, I, surprise wise I would have to say it's got to be Platense and Union I, I, I don't think either of us any of us were expecting to see them as the top two in their group after three matches mm, no no not even me <laughs> yeah. and and thanks for Carl for the for the for the question we were talking a lot about um video analysis and and, and data analysis uh we are we should we shared the the passion and, and the work. So, good luck. Ah, he's one of your stats bomb. I'm going to say colleagues, but yep. you're not at stats bomb, are you? Are you? Nope. It's so stats hard to bomb. keep up with with where you <laughs> where, where you are at any one time. Yeah, he's a good friend. So, uh, Johnny uh, says, "Is Dandy Jack Grealish a one-trick pony?" I, I don't know whether you've quite tweeted the correct podcast with that question, Johnny. Sorry. <laughs> Unless one of these two it's has got as a just a random city restaurant reference. Yeah, it could well be, couldn't it? Um, they're not going to have any need for him anyway once Julian Alvarez joins them. Um, Tom Robinson. Ah, right. Hmm. Good question, Tom. Tom Robinson says, what do you think of crypto's encroachment into the league? I might be swayed by Tanke Silva NFT. Um, I did mention a couple of weeks ago in fact, yeah, Tommy Buendia has responded to this with a popcorn gif um, that I was going to uh, do a little bit of reading to form a more uh, a more informed opinion as to why I didn't like it, basically. It wasn't going to be that anything was going to sway me on the side of, of crypto. But, um, I mean, it's a pyramid scheme. And I... I think, I think what we can say... Is go on. I respect Chiki Tapia a lot because he managed to swindle the crypto people, didn't he? He um, signed one sponsorship deal with yeah. one, of these, one of these con artists to be their official sponsor. And then he turned around and gave the, the league sponsorship to another one. And they were absolutely furious. He's like, what's the old, um, what's the old saying? Like, rob a, rob a thief and, and you'll have 100 years of forgiveness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the scorpion and the frog, all the rest of it. Um, no, that, that was... Bit of an idiot, but he's got the upper hand over those fuckers. I think good on him. Indeed, um, I, I'm kind of I'm, I'm uneasy about um, anything that, especially in the context of, of the local economy that we've got here, where you can't save in the local currency because inflation means that your savings just lose enormous amounts of value. You save in mean, paper. For, for the benefit of all of our, right, the vast majority of our listeners are outside Argentina and are currently, you know, thanks to the pandemic and and, and recessions that have uh, been caused by that and everything, are currently open-eyed and up in arms about inflation figures of like 7%. We, we've had 40% inflation figures for most of the last decade or touching 40%, and it's now hit 50% over the last year to give you some idea. 
of just how hopeless the idea of saving in Argentine pesos is. So people tend to save or try to save when they can uh, in, in dollars more than anything, or maybe in euros as well. Um, and something that gives people the illusion of being able to save in a, a secure currency like this that they can, you know, that they're told is, is, is a potential financial lifeline. Uh, when it could go all belly up, I, I can see, I don't think the majority of people here, but I, I can see people getting quite badly burnt as a result of it. And I, and I think that it's, you know, these people are playing on, um, playing on people's emotions and on people's hopes and, and, and trying to scam people the world over, but it could be particularly damaging in a context like the Argentine context. Uh, and for that reason, I'm really not at all very happy with Argentine football for going into this um, sponsorship. You know. Sorry, Dan. Really is to go, go for the tiny method and spend all the extra money you have on random football shirts from around the world, right? Yeah, because those are never going to lose value. As long yeah, as you... That's what Tony's got his money invested in. I think it's fantastic. Exactly. Yeah. As long as, long as you're plugged into the right market to sell things, uh, they'll they'll be fine. Um, but yeah, thank you, uh, Tom, for for asking the question because you know you've kind of jogged my memory that I was going to say something about that at some point. Um, I can, from the AFA's point of view, just to be clear, I can understand it. Right. I, I can understand. I, I'm not happy with them for doing it, but I do understand how an organisation that is desperate for just cash. Um, sponsorship money at all is going to you know potentially get into bed with these people. As I mentioned before, I've, I've watched quite a lot of live pool these days as well, and one or two of the uh, pool tournaments that I've been watching recently have, have got sponsorship from a crypto organisation. I don't think they need it to the same extent. I wish they didn't have it. I can understand the desire. It's when you get up to stuff like you know the Premier League or the, the big clubs in the Premier League doing it as well that you think, yeah, you know, do you really need another? you know, a few million pounds when you've got billions in the bank already. But anyway, moving on. Tariq Alhaida, we haven't heard from you in a while. Hello, Tariq. Says, could Lancini make the World Cup squad? What do we think, guys? Depends if the squad is extended to, I don't know, 26, hmm. 30 people, as was proposed. If not, no. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Unless someone gets injured. Right. Say that again now. Sorry, then. Yeah, 26 is the most probable uh, as of as of this current time. I think that's almost a uh, fact. Yeah. I'd be surprised to stick up to 30. No, in fact, when we were when we started recording, I've, I've got the TV on mute and they were talking on TSA about who the 26 are going to be. So I think that's, if it's not been confirmed, then it's quite close to being confirmed. Obviously, we've got okay. the group stage draw coming up at the start of April, haven't we? Um, so my guess is that it's obviously going to need to be extended for him to have a chance because Scaloni obviously has a very, very clear idea of uh, who he's taking and particularly a very clear idea of who he wants to take in the area of the pitch that Lancini plays in. Um, so it's going to take something like that to really give him a shout, I think, or possibly an injury to somebody, but we're touching with that. That's not going to happen. Uh, Birdie says, do you think not getting a striker in January was a Gachardo plan to make sure that Flavian Londonio learns Huli's role to replace him instead of looking for a buy that may fit or not. Who? Who? Fabian Who? Londonio. Who's that? I'm going to Google it. <laughs> that that's not how this works, right? Overly familiar. Will you? So it's a Colombian striker, 21 year old. 
place in their reserves, apparently. There we go. Um, I have absolutely no idea how he plays. I mean, first of all, I think I think that Rivers' decision not to sign a striker when they was a that they've signed a lot of other players in other areas of the pitch who are going to do, by the look of it, from what we've seen so far, pretty good jobs once they all start gelling together. And B, they do still have Alvarez at the moment. The deal with City is that they've got him until the end of the year. Um, I think I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that City apparently can, uh, after the Libertadores quarterfinals have been played, if City want to take him then, which would be around about the time that the English season is is starting, they can chuck River another, I think it's one and a half million euros uh, and take him early. But obviously whether they actually decide to do that when that would involve moving him across the world very shortly before a World Cup that it'll almost certainly be involved in. Um, and, you know, the effect that that will have as a knock-on on his settling in England. Um, you know, if, if I were, obviously I'm not, and obviously I'm a Man United fan, so I would say this in a way, but, you know, more seriously, if I were managing a club or, or in charge of these kind of decisions at a club that had just signed a player like Alvarez, I would think you'd just wait until the end of the year and then bring him in when it's all agreed. And when, you know, after the World Cup, when he can do a better job of settling in, because it's not as if City are desperate for centre-forwards themselves or, or for attacking players anyway. Um, Londonio, I had heard as much about him, to be honest, as uh, Tony or Dan until just now. So my guess is Alvarez is going to continue to be a, a very important player for River for as long as River managed to hold on to him, essentially. Uh, Liam Kelly, who is no relation to me, says, thoughts on Rivers' very small makeover of their club badge? Uh, I like it. They've basically yeah, removed the, the thick black lines from inside it and made it slightly prettier. Although, for some reason, they've unveiled it now, but it's not going on the shirt until, like, August. It did seem no like the kind of thing where... Say that again, Dan? I have no opinion, positive or negative. <laughs> I, I think it it's just looks... Cleaner. Cleaner a bit cleaner and a bit less like a piece of clip art somehow, even though it's actually exactly the same design, just with a bit, you know, fewer lines on it. Um, but yeah, I, I can't really see why they've unveiled it now when the new shirt isn't out for six months. You know, why, why not do the do everything at once? But again, Argentine football. Uh, and Bob Roberts says, I have a PDF subscription. I didn't know that was available to Ole. And I'm curious as to what you guys think of the player ratings they publish after each top division match. P.S. I think Union might prove the post-season spoiler. Um, I have not even looked at Ole for years now because they were always bloody useless and I didn't can I, like can the I way clarify they things. something? But certainly, I, sorry, go on, Tony, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think he's saying paid, not PDF. No, no, I, mean, well, you have to... I, I assume it's a paid PDF subscription. Really? That's what I'm getting. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've not looked on the website, but certainly when I did, uh, it would frequently be, the, you know, the, the the player ratings would bear very little reality when I looked at them, you know, for a match I'd just watched. Uh, they rarely seem to actually tie up with what I thought had happened, which is one reason that when I was one. writing betting previews all the time, I tried to watch as many matches as I could in full because I didn't really I started to not trust any Argentine journalists uh, opinions of the matches I don't know what you, you two yeah, sure one. I think in that sense they don't have any more or less validity or authority than any other medium that uh, publishes 
out of 10 ratings. I mean, I've seen a, a couple of times in the last few days uh, the Le Kip ratings coming up in France, which seems to be also complete bullshit. So I think it's just something, you know, trying to define the nuances and comings and goings of a football game in a single number is always pretty much useless. Yeah, indeed. Sorry, Tony, what were you saying? Can we share something? No, if you, yeah, if you can share the PDF or whatever. Bob, if you can tweet Tony with details of this PDF subscription you've got, then he would appreciate it once you hear this. Yeah. Uh, and also, just going back to a previous question, I just read slightly further down uh, Londonio's Wikipedia page and saw that he is the cousin of Geraldo Bedoya, the record world record holder for most red cards in a professional career, uh, the Colombian. So it, it, as far as I'm concerned, I like Londonio already now, even though I've only just heard of him. Yeah, I've just changed my mind. I'm with him. Hmm. Um, we we definitely talked about Medoya at some point while he was still active, but he picked up 51, or he has picked up, I should say, 51 red cards in uh, what is so far a 783 match career, um, taking into account both time as as a player and an assistant and a and a manager uh, because he's now managing. Uh, so as a player, it was 46 red cards in 687 matches. And since then, he picked up three red cards as in 70 matches as an assistant and two red cards in 26 matches as head coach. Um, so, yeah, the next time you hear people, you know, going off about Sergio Ramos, um, Bedoya is the man who is still about 20 red cards as a player ahead of, I think Ramos is on about 25 or something now. Um, so that helps you put that into perspective. And those are all of the questions we've had. So we've got... Five and a half minutes left, according to Zoom. So I think I'm going to, I'm feeling brave. I'm feeling like the first Mystic Sam of 2022 is upon us now that we've got three matches in and we can actually take some kind of a measurement of form. So after this music, I'll give you my predictions. Okay, we get underway on Friday evening with Defensa y Justicia versus Gimnasia. I think that is coming in. Say that again, Dom. Is it going tonight or a Canvillas? And it's tonight, yep. Is that? Oh, right. These are in. Sorry, I'm looking at the feature list on Premier Dos and I thought that it was in order of the matches were going to be played, but it isn't. It's in group order. So that's very confusing. So let me just get Sofa score up instead, because that'll have them in the, in the order they're going to be played. Thank you for pointing that up. Uh, just wait for this to load, because my phone is old and slow. Right, Huracan versus Meles, as Dan says, is the first match. I think that, um, I mean, as it stands, that is 11th at home to 5th in Group 2, but in actuality, they're only a point apart at the moment. Uh, I think it's going to be a Meles win. Defensio Justicia versus Gimnasia is the first match tomorrow evening, and I think that that is going to be a Defensa y Justicia win. Uh, Platense play Banfield. I think that will be a draw. Uh, Rosario Central versus Godoy Cruz. I expect to be a Rosario Central victory. Colón versus Barracas Central is going to be Luis Miguel Rodriguez's big party time, and he's going to win against Barracas. Aldo Sibi versus Central Cordoba de Santiago del Estero. Um, 
I think could be one of the matches to perhaps not watch. Uh, I think it'll be a draw. Independiente versus Boca, I think is going to be a Boca win. Estudiantes versus Arsenal will be in an Estudiantes win. Uh, Sarmiento versus Union. Got to go for Union, haven't we, with the form they're in. Another 1-0 victory. River versus Racing. Sorry, Dan. Uh, it's going to be a River win. Argentinos versus... Say that again. I'd have been upset if you'd said anything else. Yeah, I'm sure you would have been. Argentinos versus San Lorenzo, I think, will be an Argentinos win. Uh, Tacheres versus Newells. I'm going to go for Tacheres in that one. Am I? Let me. Where are they? Are they? Let's see. Tacheres. Oh, no. Yeah. Okay. I'll stick with that. Tacheres to win that one. Lanús versus Tigre. Um, tricky, isn't it? Because we said that Tigre had started quite well, but they've had a fairly easy fixture list so far. I'm going for Lanús to win that one, I think. And then Atletico Tucumán versus Patronato de la Juventud Católica. I'm going for... I mean, that is 13th versus 14th out of 14 in Group 1. Um, and I'm going to go for a draw in that. Uh, the matches to watch, I guess, as neutrals are not too difficult to pick out. I don't think Independiente Boca and River Racing both look like the, probably the best potential for entertainment. But... Um, I do think that Sarmiento versus Union could get interesting. And I'm not just saying that because Tony's here. Can I add Lanús Tigre in return just because you mentioned Union? Oh, you're quite right, yeah. Um, that should be good as well. So a few interesting ones to look for. And Estudiantes versus Arsenal as well, but I think most of the decent football is probably likely to come from one side in that one. Uh, whereas the others have all got a little bit more potential to be end-to-end. So that's that. That's our episode for this week. Thank you very much indeed for joining us as ever. For now, it's thanks and goodbye from English Dan. Goodbye. Thank you. Hope you heard that uh, from Tony. <laughs> thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> and from me. Thank you and goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>